slice one, our conversational expectations. Will it surprise you if I say that daily conversations are good for your mental well-being? The University of Michigan conducted a study in 2010, which concluded that spending time chatting with our colleagues and friends can improve our cognitive functions in the same way as arduous exercises do. Because of their potential positives, the requirements of good conversations are further explored by researchers around the world, and we as chatters, consciously or unconsciously, set certain expectations for, for what a good conversation looks like or feels like. It's up to every individual to decide over the notion of a good conversation, but in general, feel-good conversations entail one essential element: respect. Respect, according to Collins Dictionary, means consider or treat with deference or dutiful regard. Based on this definition, respect is not something associated with a person's knowledge or talent. In the real world, it should be so. When you respect someone regardless of their age, social status, or level of education, you see them as a whole, deserving to be listened to and taken seriously. But what if this feel-good feeling is out of reach to some people whose mental capacity is cast doubt upon just because they are not fluent in particular language? This does happen in real life, many, many times. Can you think of one example? Slice one, our conversational expectations. Will it surprise you if I say that daily conversations are good for your mental well-being? The University of Michigan conducted a study in 2010, which concluded that spending time chatting with our colleagues and friends can improve our cognitive functions in the same way as arduous exercises do. Because of their potential positives, the requirements of good conversations are further explored by researchers around the world, and we as chatters, consciously or unconsciously, set certain expectations for, for what a good conversation looks like or feels like. It's up to every individual to decide over the notion of a good conversation, but in general, feel-good conversations entail one essential element: respect. Respect, according to Collins Dictionary, means consider or treat with deference or dutiful regard. Based on this definition, respect is not something associated with a person's knowledge or talent. In the real world, it should be so. When you respect someone regardless of their age, social status, or level of education, you see them as a whole, deserving to be listened to and taken seriously. But what if this feel-good feeling is out of reach to some people whose mental capacity is cast doubt upon just because they are not fluent in particular language? This does happen in real life, many, many times. Can you think of one example? Slice two: the elephant in the room, language discrimination, IQ and language proficiency. What's the link between IQ and language proficiency? IQ or intelligence quotient is the measure of someone's intelligence found from special tests. Because of the method used to measure it, IQ has been a controversial concept. Setting aside this contention, Howard Gardner, 
a psychologist and professor at Harvard University, states in his book *Frames of Mind* in 1983 that there are eight types of intelligence, each representing different ways of how a person best processes information: spatial intelligence, bodily kinesthetic intelligence, musical intelligence, logical mathematical intelligence, interpersonal intelligence. Intrapersonal intelligence and linguistic intelligence. Linguistic intelligence is the ability to understand and use spoken or written language. This can include expressing yourself effectively through speech or the written word, as well as showing a facility for learning foreign tongues. Writers, poets, lawyers, and speakers are among those that Gardner sees as having high linguistic intelligence. Now, interestingly enough. Gardnerlistic linguistic intelligence is the very first intelligence in his original book on the subject. But he argues that linguistic intelligence is much more than what can be measured on a test. Other findings show different approaches to measure individual linguistic intelligence, and without much to say, they were as incomplete as other tests to measure other types of intelligence. But unfortunately, many of us jump to fill the void. Associating one's ability in a foreign language to their intelligence, oblivious to potential harm done to them. What's the difference in the brain between monolinguals and bilinguals or multilinguals? Now we're moving into the domain of the most mysterious organ of the human body, the brain. In fact, according to what the writer Catherine Zuckerman published on the National Geographic, the human brain is more complex than any other known structure in the universe. Fascinating, isn't it? So, being unable to fully grasp the significance of the distinction between the brain of a monolingual and that of a bilingual is no easy task. But scientists are constantly pushing the frontiers of knowledge, and thus allowing us to gain an insight into this matter, regardless of how incomplete it is. According to the effects of bilingualism on brain development from early childhood to young adulthood. Bilingualism affects the structure of the brain in adults, is evidenced by experience-dependent gray and white matter changes in brain structures implicated in language learning, processing, and control. However, limited evidence exists on how bilingualism may influence brain development. So this leaves one question left: Is there any difference in the intellectual capacity between a monolingual and a bilingual? In 2011, a group of researchers presented their newest studies at a meeting of the American Association for the Advancement of Science. The latest evidence shows that being bilingual does not necessarily make people smarter. But researcher Ellen Dewistock says it probably does make you better at certain skills, such as better attention and task switching capacities. Now, although scientists are constantly pushing the frontiers of knowledge, trying to solve as many puzzles in life as possible, there are still limitations. But in daily life, we jump to conclusions and dismiss someone as brown and no brain just because they are not fluent in a foreign language. We are turning ourselves into an omnipotent judge, looking down, ready to deliver a verdict that costs someone dearly. The uncomfortable conversation. We move from daily informal conversations to a more professional domain of life, where language discrimination is conspicuous. The workplace, according to Legal Aid at Work, language discrimination occurs when a person is treated differently because of her native language or other characteristics of her language skills. 
For example, an employee may be experiencing language discrimination if the workplace has a speak English only policy, but her primary language is one other than English. She may also be the victim of language discrimination if she is treated worse than other employees because she speaks English with an accent, or if she is told that she does not qualify for a position because her English is not good enough. Now, language discrimination may also occur. If a person is denied access to businesses or government services because he or she does not speak, understand, read, or write English well, imagine like this: you are having a conversation with your team in which some people who come from different cultural backgrounds were more fluent in English than the others. One of your company policies was that employees were required to exchange ideas in English on Friday. You were enthusiastic about this at first because you thought it would be a good idea to practice your English, although your English was not really up to par. At some point in the conversation, you realized you were not articulate and stumbled upon words, and you were dismissed lightly and interrupted by your colleagues. Given its impacts on your self-esteem, you decided to avoid going to work on Friday, but the experience still took a toll on your mood, or worse. On your self-value. Now, while there is no law that specifically prohibits language discrimination, it is considered an aspect of discrimination based on national origin, the country that the person or his ancestors came from. Sometimes we unconsciously break them and provide excuses for our wrongdoings. The language intelligence ladder, as we call it, is more about determining someone's intelligence based on their proficiency level of a certain language that is not their mother tongue. It can be among those who come from the same country. Slide three: How to balance the scale, embrace but not overpraise. The language ladder, where a fluent speaker is on the upper rung while a struggling one remains on the bottom rung, is present in many aspects of our life, and its impacts can be varied from one person to another. But it's time to look closely at our prejudices and start speaking in defense of their irrationality. I personally believe in the power of change and the therapeutic effects of daily conversations. Thus, if we start with little small talk in the right way, things will eventually pick up. In the very first episode, our team made a video about vocabulary and conversations, identifying what a good conversation looks like. And if you notice, all the principles lie on the foundation of respect. It's where active listening, sympathy, and compatibility come from. Fluency in a second language is great because it means you are able to be another version of self that reflects who you are to the world. Besides, it means that you put a lot of effort into it. But it shouldn't come at the expense of other people's self-confidence. They shouldn't be cast in negative light just because they are more fluent in their mother tongue than in their target language.